When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Kia ora and welcome to Episode 3 of From Zero. I'm Russell Brown. In this episode, we'll survey the presence of drugs in popular culture, film, TV, music and magazines. It's all over American TV, from Breaking Bad to HBO's current comedy about a New York weed dealer high maintenance. And New Zealand creators are no different. We'll discover that while you can depict drug-taking before the TV watershed and slip cocaine references into Top 40 Radio, the wrong kind of gardening tips will still get you banned in 2016. Just a warning, there is some language in this episode that you may find offensive. Centuries of literature are replete with English gents getting on the dope. There have long been murmurings, for example, about Shakespeare's Sonnet 76. Why is my verse so barren of new pride, so far from variation or quick change? Why with the time do I not glance aside to newfound methods and to compounds strange? Why write I still all one, ever the same, and keep invention in a noted weed, that every word doth almost tell my name, showing their birth and where they did proceed? But it wasn't really until jazz that popular music artists began talking about drugs, or as the bard had it, Compound Strange, as part of their lives and environments. This is Cab Calloway's 1931 hit Mini the Moocher, or as you may know it if you're not a jazz buff, that song from the first Blues Brothers movie. In Calloway's song, Minnie takes up with a cokie called Smokey, a cokie being a cocaine user. He takes her to Chinatown and shows her how to kick the gong around, that is, smoke opium. The latter part of the song is Minnie's opium fantasy of diamond cars and kings. In one version of the song, she dies in the end. There are many other examples in jazz, but no story stands out more than that of Billie Holiday. As Johan Hari relates in his 2015 book, Chasing the Scream, Federal Narcotics Chief Harry Anslinger learned of Holiday's heroin addiction in 1939 and targeted her from then on. The war on drugs began with Anslinger, and he started it by driving the greatest of all the jazz singers to a humiliating death. New Zealand composers might have lived the life, but they didn't notably write about it until 1968, when clean-cut Kiwi pop star Lou Prime released a song called Gracious Lady Alice D. That's Alice as in Wonderland. 
It came out the year after the Beatles recorded Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, and while they might have denied their title was an allusion to LSD, Kiwi composer Bryce Peterson was open about his song being a real trip. He explained the song's genesis in David Hirk's 2005 documentary High Times. Not knowing where the world might be. Dorothy and I decided we were perfectly safe to go for a drive, and her and I jumped in the car. Over to the domain and we walked through the gardens and we had the most beautiful day I've ever had in my life with anybody. Just visual, you know, all the flowers, the grass was growing, you could see it growing, you'd see all the flowers waving, and it was just absolutely the most beautiful thing her and I both experienced together. And uh, I went home and wrote Gracious Lady LSD on the strength that we wandered through the lonely the multicolored flowers. We wandered through the multicolored I remember there was a girlfriend, a friend of mine working in, in um, Louis Edes, and she wrote me up. She said, what have, what have you written on that record? I said, why? And she said, well, the police have just been here with a, a warrant to pick them all up. And she said, they've been around every record shop and they've got all the records and they're going to destroy them. And it was like destroying Dave, you know what I mean? They were going to go away and destroy them so people couldn't sit, hear it. It was absolutely stupid. Prime, who had never touched LSD, was advised to tell the press he'd tried it in Australia for the sake of the publicity. The baby boomers were shifting the boundaries. And by the 1970s, Auntie NZBC was screening a show where this sort of thing went on. Blurter's song, Drugs, performed on the group's own TV show, was actually a morality tale about the dangers that can befall a young woman in the big city. But it was also an illustration of the way things could change. You can be assured that none of that sort of malarkey was permitted on the national programme. Blurter founders Bruno Lawrence and Jeff Murphy teamed up a few years later to push the boundaries in film. The former played Mulvaney, a rascally dope dealer, in Murphy's rebellious road movie, Goodbye Pork Pie. Who's your friend? Mulvaney. Mulvaney. G'day. Nice, mate. Jeff Murphy recalls the scene. Young people smoked dope. That's how it was. And further to that, it was a sort of a statement, a rejection of the authoritarian point of view. And in 1981... It was common to read in the paper, drug craze, hippies, rape girl, you know, because we knew it was lies, we, and we couldn't understand what motivated people to print this garbage. It might have been a bit shocking in 1981, but Lawrence did deliver perhaps the greatest line in New Zealand cinema. What do you reckon, Blondini? Sure thing. There's only one sure thing in life, Blondini. That's doubt. Think. Oh, yeah. That was in the script, but the last line wasn't. Bruno added that. He added the, I think. <laughs> That's a brilliant bit of improv, then. It is, yeah. Another rock film crossover came four years later when Hello Sailor's Harry Lyon played a conflicted musician in 1985's Mr Asia-inspired feature film Should I Be Good. Where did you get that? Ross Brake. Snuck it into me. Mm -hmm. Ross Brake. 
He's the guy I got busted with. Had the smart lawyer. You just be careful this time, Nat. If you get busted again, they'll chuck the key away. They will that. You better believe her. In case I'll stick with the scotch. At least it's legal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, cheers. Hello Sailor had, of course, already nailed their colours to the mast, probably more than most fans realised. While the title of Hooked from the band's debut album was about what it said on the label, it would be years before most people knew that the Blue Lady in the song Blue Lady was a sought-after syringe made in Germany from blue glass. Harry Lyon. They're not necessarily songs about drugs. They just like most of the sailor songs, I suppose. They just reflect what was going on around us or what we were thinking or, or sometimes they're just fun, you know. Was there kind of cultural permission to have those themes? I mean, the Rolling Stones had recorded Brown Sugar and there, there are any number of other examples. We grew up with a sort of um, marijuana madness um, message that was coming from our parents' generation, I guess, and um, discovered that maybe there wasn't a lot of foundation in that. So there was there's certainly a lot of experimentation going on. Uh, and not only with drugs, uh, there was also experimentation going on with food and lifestyle generally, the, the whole counterculture movement. Like lots of people our age, I guess, you know, like became vegetarians and started seeking out whole foods and all those sorts of things and, and sort of direct contrast to some other things that are a little bit more damaging for your health that we were doing as well. But, you know, I guess questioning everything. The creators of the outrageous fortune prequel Westside also reached for Mr Asia in the season one episode where Rita and Wolf encounter Mr Asia mastermind Marty Johnstone. You know what I do, right? Bilky has clued me in. How's the safe cracking business working out for you these days? It's fine. So why are you talking to me? Just keeping an open mind to the future. Wise man. None for me. You got something against drugs, Ted? Tried mescaline once. Scared the heck out of me, so I stick to beer these days. <laughs> All the more for me, then. Series writer James Griffin explains how that encounter with a real-life character came to be. If you go back to the, the genesis of the show, um, we were actually, for the first season, um, told to try and go for platinum funding. They kind of like, with platinum projects, for it to have some kind of historical basis, and I've always argued against that, that saying, you know, we, we can't just keep doing rip-from-the-headline stories, so let's try and do something fictional but uh, link it to real events in the past. And so that's, what, that's how we formulated the first series of Westside. And we decided that clearly when you're doing a series about criminals in Auckland, you, you've got to go to, to Mr Asia. Because I, I recall Mr Asia and looking back since as, as actually having a, a huge footprint. It, it was big. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of one of those New Zealand stories that, that went global. I mean, it... it which doesn't happen a lot with us in our little old Pavlova paradise. Lying in the Hello Sailor crop up again in the episode's recreation of Mandrake's Mansion, the infamous Ponsonby Villa where they enjoyed their most fertile creative period and took a lot of drugs. 
A young Dave McCartney, played by McCartney's son Gabriel, works out the chords to Gutter Black. Come into my house. Travel, travel, travel. Shut up. At that time, Hello Solar were being born. The mansion was in popular culture. Um, uh, Mr Asia was round. The two just kind of morphed together. It's nice as a world to put Rita in. And we saw Rita um, smoking heroin in, in that episode. And um, So, you know, we, we threw her into the world. It was but one of a string of druggy storylines brought to you by TV drama producer South Pacific Pictures. Remember, in the 90s, an early episode of Shortland Street saw a young Nick Harrison procure what he thought were magic mushrooms. Later on, Marshall Haywood was ahead of the curve in not only building a meth lab, but in having that lab explode and catch fire. But there were always consequences to drug use, and it wasn't until 2005 when two waggish West Aucklanders smoked a lot of dope on TV and mostly had a great time doing it. We're just two cats swimming in a big ocean, bro. Mm. Can cats swim? We can. We catfish. <laughs> and we got to look out for the sharks. Yeah, man. Fish are cool. Sharks are dogs. Catfish are the coolest of them all. <laughs> <laughs> James Griffin says there was simply no other way that outrageous fortunes Van and Munter could be. Yeah, he was a stoner from the the, the word go and he, ma he maintained that right through to the very end we would get problems with language with sex all manner of things but never once did any of our drug use get questioned I've, I've, looking back I find that quite remarkable really because there was a lot of it sort of people I end up writing about for some reason do drugs and if you're going to portray their world, at some stage someone's going to pull out a joint. Uh, one thing we quite often see in popular culture in some places is that if people use drugs there are consequences. How often are there consequences for your characters? Very rarely in, the, in, the, in shows like Outrageous. I mean, they are portrayed, I think, in a more, in a more realistic and not uh, kind of with a moral gun pointed to your head, saying... Van and Munter, they like to relax by smoking marijuana. Sure, you might argue that who, who they are is a, is a consequence of what they do, but it's not that, that bad things are going to happen to them because they like to get high. I know it's a dangerous thing to say in public, but for the, for the majority of people who use um, illegal drugs in this, in this country, there are no consequences. But none of these constitute New Zealand TV's most memorable weed joke. Hello, I'm Ashley. Hello, I'm John. Hello, hello. In the early 80s, Billy T. James' morning talk sketch showed children how to roll a joint. Right, what have we got today, John? Well, <clears throat> I've brought along some papers. Some papers? Yes, sort of special papers. You'd probably find them on the coffee table in the lounge. Right, what are you going to do with the papers? I'm going to stick them together. They've got licky bits, sticky bits on the... Some gluey, sticky, <clears throat> licky bits. End, you see? Oh, yes. I'm going to lick that bit like this. Like that. Right, well, what happens then? Well, I've got some really good heads. Oh, heads. You'd find those on the coffee table too, wouldn't you, As John? well, probably, yes. Right. You know, just sprinkle them on the paper like that. I put quite a lot on, depending how good the heads are. Right. 
What happens then? Well, now I'm going to roll the paper around the heads. Roll the paper around the head? Very much like a cigarette, actually. So, sort of, it's a tricky bit, isn't it? Yes, it's quite hard to do. Roll it over like that. Then you stick it down. There we are. And I'm going to sort of pinch the ends together and twist them round. Why's that, John? So that the heads don't fall out. Ah, very important. Do that so the heads don't fall out. And there we are. There it is. Well, what, what do you do with it now? Well, I'm going to um, make a little hat. <laughs> yeah. Now, if you think your hats are as good as John's, why don't you send them into John and Ashley carry morning talk, Piha, Auckland? A prize for the biggest hat. Right. Okay. Bye. Bye. You're listening to From Zero on New Zealanders and Drugs. I'm Russell Brown. Musicians continued to write about their lives. None more so than the lyricist of the West Auckland hip-hop crew Homebrew, Tom Scott. The group's songs are something of a pharmacopoeia. Music to me was always best when it was transparent. I mean, whatever's happening in my life is what's happening in my music. And there's a tree in the backyard Where the white flowers grow There's a black hole in my backyard During that stage of my life, I was experimenting with a lot of drugs. Like most people do at that age, you know. Once the cake's baked, you want to eat it, you know. But um, I always knew that experiments have conclusions, you know. Experiments have lab reports. I guess some of those songs were like lab reports. I mean, that's all my music is really. Just uh, a long-ass lab report. Now listen to me if you want, you can puff your weed. But guarantee this shit'll get you like three million times higher from just the sea. Homebrew's Daytura is a dazzling riff on the joys and dangers of backyard jimson weed. It's based on a true story. Dandruff Dickey, who'd uh, made the beat for the track, he'd found his tune in his backyard. He was staying in like some grown man's orphanage, some halfway house kind of place, and there was this Daytura tree in the backyard, and uh, we smoked a little weed by that point. So we rolled some of that up, and uh, we started singing it while we're doing it. Yeah, that was the song, basically. But in saying that, I've definitely had trips as bad as that, like or worse. Um, so I guess the song was just like a compilation of all the horrible things drugs have done to me and can do to you. Homebrew's videos for Underneath the Shade, actually a song about climate change, and Yellow Snot Funk, definitely a song about party drugs, are full of heroic imbibing. Was that all real? Uh, the Yellow Snot Funk video, that was definitely real. That was like the most I've ever spent on drugs in my life. Uh, we had like at least half the budget devoted to drugs. I mean, if the song was called Yellow Submarine, then you better have some money for a fucking submarine in the budget. We had pills and acid and weed and 2CP, whatever that was. At one point, probably like the peak of the night, we're all blowing these fucking guguzelas or vuvuz, what, what, you know those things? Um, and like 22-part harmony and it sounded like a swarm of locusts had like made a barbershop quintet and Askew was just buzzing out and he had stopped the video at that point because it was fucking insanity and um you know you could you look around the room and seriously like you would have thought you're in Carrington hospital like real life cuckoo's nest kind of shit um it was mental it was the best night of my life 
I think the cops got involved a couple times, three or four times. One time we threw out some cookies at uh, the Vodafone Music Awards. Someone caught one of them and she happened to be the daughter of the head of Vodafone. That was a funny story. And I haven't really had any funding since. A key influence on what Homebrew were able to get away with in their video was the move from TV to the internet as the prime venue for music clips. I never really knew what it was like to make anything for TV. Uh, I was lucky enough to avoid that. Uh, Our approach to making videos was that we kind of knew from trial and error that the more controversial the video, the, the more views it would get. For us, that was our gimmick, obviously, but after a while, it just got boring. I mean, it felt like we were trolling after a while, and that was never really what we were trying to do. We we were just naturally little shits, you know? I, I guess it was just tired journalists that needed an angle who, you know, made us the druggy rappers, and maybe we needed an angle as well, and we got lazy as well. But um, I've always talked about both sides of things. I think that's important. There's always a come down. There's always a hangover. There's always side effects, you know? There's always a come down, kids. Another video definitely not brought to you by NZ On Air was Deja Voodoo's 2004 tune, P. It was an unthinkable thing to say at the height of the first methamphetamine surge. But as Deja Voodoo's Chris Stapp explains, they were saying the unsayable for a reason. We came back from overseas, having been away for a little while, and uh, when we got back, suddenly our country was in the middle of this peace storm and it was all over the papers and we'd never heard of this thing before and it had a kind of funny name and uh, it just seemed really surreal and we found it funny so we wrote a song about it. It almost functioned as a kind of media satire at the time as well, because, as you say, the headlines were so full of um, of panic. Yeah, well, it's definitely written from that point of view of all the newspapers that were going nuts and the media's going nuts, and it's like there's this horrible epidemic. And it's like, apart from what you read in the papers, everything looked pretty much the same to me. Occasionally you go to a party and there's um, some seedy-looking dude with a glass pipe. But... Um, yeah, they take these sort of extreme case stories, blow them out of all proportion, and uh, it was just kind of a reaction to that, going, people are smoking pee, who gives a shit? Did any of your parents ever hear that song? Um, I imagine they probably have. Uh, I can't say I've ever talked to them about Deja Voodoo lyrics. Um, yeah. Interesting question though, like my dad is a, uh, is, is a cop, so um, yeah, maybe one day I'll see what he thinks of that song. To, to be honest, I think he finds it kind of mostly stupid and vaguely funny what we used to do.
Sometimes, as we've noted, people simply don't know what a song's about, and presumably the Labour Party hadn't listened too closely to the Clean's Anything Could Happen when it chose the tune to round out its 2005 election campaign launch. It's about going to the doctor to try and score drugs and getting a motivational lecture instead. Clean's David Kilgour recently revealed that the band's first single, Tally Ho, the song that went top 20 and began Flying Nun Records, was about being given a mysterious drug by a notorious group called The Androids and not even knowing what day it was. If any New Zealand song about the drug experience can be described as a work of art, it's Lawrence Arabia's I've Smoked Too Much. Take the time of your life and times it by three. That's what we get when we leave the city. A kind of micro song cycle that sweeps and drifts and tips through the different stages of a marijuana high, from euphoria to paranoia. We could sense each other's thoughts all We won't be apart until one of us is dead But which one of us will that be? There's panic running through my head I've smoked too much The last few works I've mentioned pretty much announce themselves, but that's not always the case. Wellington emergency medicine specialist Dr Paul Quigley has misgivings about the coded references to substance abuse in some of this year's biggest pop songs. I was very fortunate to be in South Africa at the beginning of the year, actually an international emergency medicine conference, and there was a wonderful presentation done where basically this emergency physician had just listened to the radio for uh, a week, actually driving in the car with his kids singing in the back, and then he analysed all the, the words in it and realised that uh, something like 70% of the songs that the kids were singing were related to cocaine because uh, it was uh, Funk Town, Funk You Up uh, was out there and uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and her... Uh, chalky white you. face is a referral to cocaine and so is the song about how numb I can't feel my face, it's so numb or something. Uh, and he said it's just everywhere, the more you listen you more the realise that uh, after they swig their bottle of Jack Daniel they brush their teeth with some cocaine and so on and uh, it's there and your kids are bopping away in the back of the car thinking this is cool and how it's cool you can't feel your face and, uh, and things but they're just having their, an early introduction to their cocaine habit. But he says the booze boosting is even worse. I personally get annoyed when I listen on the radio and they, they do have those songs in them where they all start with, you know, I chugged back an entire bottle of Jack Daniels just to get me going and things. It doesn't get you going. It just makes you vomit and fall over and, you know, poo and wee in your little black dress. You might by now be thinking that there's a common thread running through all these examples. The lack of censorship trouble. 
In general, it's all been treated as creative expression. But there is one thing that will get you in trouble with the censor, and that's gardening tips. There is a list of publications deemed objectionable by the New Zealand Classification Office. It includes some pretty awful stuff. And also issues of the venerable American magazine High Times and the newsletter of Normal NZ, the National Association for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. The chief censor, Andrew Jack, explains why. It isn't just a line that says anything to do with drugs should be banned or should not be banned. Um, you have to look at the whole context of it. Sometimes that crops up in a really interesting way. The uh, Magazines, for example, um, High Times is a good example. Mostly it's restricted to um, people over the age of 16, and that's because once you're over 16, you're assumed to have a, a level of maturity that you can actually understand that... Um, the magazine is advocating for um, cannabis law reform, for example. A few of the editions of it have, in fact, been banned because they do more than that. Um, they, in the same magazine, you've got material which also um, provides quite instructional um, information about how to subvert um, the law or how to avoid detection or how to um, um, actually grow more potent drugs. Um, so in the same magazine, sometimes it's OK because predominantly it's about... Um, advocating for cannabis law reform. In other instances, it's actually got um, a lot of material in there which just tends to um, depict drugs as being really cool or in some way um, desirable and doesn't actually reflect at all on some of the well-known um, negative side effects of um, consuming illicit drugs. So it, it's not just the instructions, it's if it's depicting drugs as desirable? Yeah, it's a range of factors um, that we take into account in each case, but you have to look at each publication on its own. It's, it's um, not a blunt instrument in that regard. And yet you can watch Outrageous Fortune on the West Side on TV and you can see the characters blazing up. Well, um, that, that, is, um, that is true. Uh, however, we have a different standard for broadcast material than we do for everything else, so um, those are sort of issues you'd need to raise with the Broadcasting Standards Authority. This is a different issue here, though, because these are the kinds. This is the kind of information and instructions that that is freely available online, and you would not, I would guess, even attempt to try and curb that availability. No, no, we wouldn't. Um, except that if it is objectionable, then it is an offence and quite a serious one to um, be in possession of that. Just the same as with child abuse images. So um, the fact that you can subvert the law or get around it doesn't mean to say we shouldn't do what we can to discourage people from attempting to locate that material in the first place, and secondly, for uh, impose some kind of sanction on them if they choose to ignore that uh, that advice. So um, it's uh, otherwise you can you can't just throw your hands up and say it's all too hard. Just anything goes because then anything would go and the world we live in would be a far worse place for that. But you can't really compare cannabis gardening tips to child abuse images? Possibly not. It's different material. But essentially, uh, if you're talking, for example, about cannabis gardening tips, that's one thing. What about if you're talking about setting up a methamphetamine lab, for example? I, I think um, although it depends in every case on what the material actually is, and that's why it, is, it isn't just a line that says anything to do with drugs should be banned or should not be banned, um, you have to look at the whole context of it. Normal President Chris Fowley is predictably unimpressed. That is the most ridiculous argument I've ever heard. I mean, for a start, there's no victim with someone wanting to view some pictures of cannabis compared to child porn. That is just astounding that someone like that in a position of power and influence and who is deciding what New Zealanders can read and see would think that way. That's just so out of touch with the average person. Um, 
it's just nuts. And it just shows, like, we have this ridiculous censorship law that lets them ban anything if it discusses a matter of crime. Well, a strict interpretation of that would see every newspaper banned, because they all discuss matters of crime. Um, but it is interesting that when you look at all the, through the list of all the publications that have been banned in New Zealand, it's all these really hardcore child porn and bestiality and normal news and high times. You know? <laughs> it's just nuts, absolutely nuts. I asked Andrew Jack how the standards would change if the law was to change. Well, arguably, um, uh, the, the two-step process that the Court of Appeal has told us we have to follow. First of all, we have to be able to say, answer the question um, positively, does this publication deal with sex, horror, crime, cruelty or violence? Now, if it's um, to do with drugs, of course, at the moment it's covered because it's a crime. If it's not a crime, it may be that we've got no capacity to, to, to um, classify any of that material. If it's not a crime, unless it somehow otherwise deals with um, sex horror or um, cruelty um, or violence in some way, it would not be, um, it would not be um, open to us to classify it at all. So it would have a significant impact. Um, if it was sort of um, decriminalised, for example, um, what we have done in the past is well, there was a publication that dealt exclusively with the medical use of, of um, marijuana and we, we said it is banned unless it's actually um, for people that have got the authority to use medical marijuana. So if they've been given permission under the current system to um, consume medical ma marijuana, um, they're entitled to also have this book which tells you a whole lot of other stuff around how to do that and what the benefits are and what the risks might be and all that sort of stuff. So we can tailor the classifications in that regard. So if it was completely decriminalised and it wouldn't be a matter of crime and unless it had sex, horror, cruelty or violence in it as well, um, it wouldn't be open to us to classify that material any longer. So that, that sort of responsible portrayal uh, thing goes out the window then in that case? It would. Hmm. That's, that's, that's intriguing. So, um, and I, I guess that's just following the media discussion around medical marijuana, that's basically it. Everyone says, seems to say medical marijuana is good, but what people are concerned about is what door does that open for the misuse of marijuana for non-medical purposes as well. So um, at the moment, um, we can take that into account in terms of classifying the material. If it's a responsible um, depiction of the use of marijuana, it's a documentary, for example, about the um, social or medical benefits of consumption and uh, or against the risks of um, associated with decriminalising it and so on, um, that's actually really important for people to have. If people have that information, they can engage in that discussion a lot more and ultimately um, they can give direction to their elected representatives of parliament um, to... Uh, you know, adhere to the public will around whether, you know, whether the um, current law should be reformed or not. You might be thinking that this episode is about people glorifying drug use. It's not, really. It's about people acknowledging drug use as a reality with the means available to them. And it's not all sunshine. Tom Scott from Homebrew was forthcoming on the limits and realities of a party lifestyle, so much so that he gave us an outtake from Homebrew's album about that very thing. This is Need New Drugs, and it's never been played on the radio before. And that's it for this episode of From Zero. Next time we look at methamphetamine, or P. Is there a second epidemic? How is it different from the first time around? And what are the police doing differently? You may be surprised. I'm Russell Brown. 
Catch you then. From Zero is a seven-part podcast series for RNZ, with additional audio from David Herc's documentary High Times, The New Zealand Drug Experience, Graham McLean's feature film Should I Be Good, and The Billy T. James Show. And special thanks to the many bands featured in this episode. You can subscribe or listen to every episode of From Zero on iTunes or at radionz.co.nz forward slash series. Don't forget to rate us, and we're also on Spotify. This episode was produced by Russell Brown and engineered by Jeremy Ansell and Rangi Powick. The executive producers were Justin Gregory and Tim Watkin. Kakite anō. Botox Cosmetic, Adobotulinum Toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.